Good afternoon. I'm Loreto Rojas. And I'm Cal Winslow. Today, uh, Loreto and I finish our series in recognition of Hispanic Heritage Month. And this is the fourth and last program during a month of, of considering important issues in the Latino community and beyond. I should add, Loretto, going off script just for a minute here, that this won't be the, the last discussion by a long shot of Latino uh, community issues. And be sure, if you don't already, be sure that you listen to Mendo Latino, which is on uh, uh, on Monday mornings. Thank you, uh, Cal. <laughs> the uh, second, fourth uh, uh, Mondays of the month, and and that's in Spanish. So so we're not forgetting about this subject whatsoever. And uh, Loretto and I will be talking about what we might do next if we get the opportunity. But uh, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed and learn something from these programs. Thank you, Carl. Yeah, Mendo Latino, it's on Mondays. Uh, it's the second and the fourth Monday of every month from 9 to 10. It's an Spanish-speaking program, and we focus in Latino issues with my co-host, Diana Coriat. And I also want to take the opportunity today to encourage all of you to support our radio station, KZYX. We are on Pledge Drive, and so please call and pledge to the radio that supports local content and uh, gives the opportunity to many individuals to have programs and enrich our community. So today uh, we are, as Cal was saying, this is our fourth program celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. And we started a few weeks ago interviewing historian Avi Chomsky and talking about Latin American history and the roots of migration. And that program was followed by another one with Alvaro Huerta, who talked about immigrants and the challenges we all face. Uh, in our last, most recent program, the third program, uh, we talked with three physicians working in Chula Vista, south of San Diego, working on the border with three uh, young doctors who in a fascinating way, totally, describe themselves as social justice warriors. And to finish our programs, this series, because we, won't, we will be, good, be away for a little while, but to finish the, the celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, we have three guests. They are all uh, closer to home. They are our activists, Kaylee Becerra, Esmeralda Plasencia, and Rosa Ibarra. So I'm going to read their uh, biographies uh, so you can learn a little bit about them before we start talking. So Kaylee Becerra Sanchez is the proud daughter of Mexican immigrants from Jalpa, Zacatecas, in the country of Mexico. She was born and raised on the Mendocino coast. After completing her studies at the University of San Diego, she spent a year in Los Angeles with the Jesuitas, Jesuits Volunteer Corps. Since moving home, she has become involved with various community-based groups, most recently Mendocino County's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee, and its subset COVID-19 Equity Work Group. Kaylee also serves as a commissioner on the Citizens Commission 
tackling the potential for brand name change. And she's currently the program manager for the Promotores de Salud de Nuestra Alianza de Willits. Bienvenida, Kaylee. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, and, and joining us as well is Rosani Barra. She is the Community Wellbeing Director for Adventist Health, Ukiah Valley, and the Adventist Health uh, Howard Memorial Hospital and the Adventist Health uh, Memorial uh, Mendocino Coast Hospital. She was Executive Director of First Five Mendocino from 2016 to 2020. Ibarra holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in political science and a minor in economics from Sonoma State University and a Master's of Legal Studies from Empire College School of Law. Ibarra is the former board president for the Boys and Girls Club of Ukiah she, she served on the board from 2011 to 2021, and she serves on the United Way of the uh, Wine Country Board of Directors since 2019. Ibarra is multicultural and bilingual in Spanish and English. She is multi-tribal with Nomlaki, Concau, and Pomo blood from Northern California. She's a tribal member of the Round Valley Indian Tribes in Covelo, California, and a first-generation Mexican-American. Her father is an immigrant from Michoacán, Mexico. Her indigenous Mexican blood is Purépecha. She's founding, a founding steer committee member of the Mendocino Latinx Alliance, a leadership group that provides a platform to voice the aspiration, needs, and concerns of the Latino community to inform and grow leaders. She is also the founding member of the Mendocino Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Task Force formed in 2020 following community outcry regarding disparities that were magnifying during the pandemic. Welcome, Roseanne. Thank you. Also, we have Esme Placencia. Uh, she grew up in Fort Bragg and she has been uh, attracted to uh, the exploration of nature and the outdoors, since she can remember. Esme remembers family picnics on the beach, playing in the water and hiking. Now, as a Sacramento State University student, she is working with the Mendocino Land Trust, Mendo Parks, and Mendocino Woodlands Association, finding ways to offer better access to outdoor activities for Latino communities. She founded the Latino Outdoors chapter in Fort Bragg, and a terrific project, uh, I must say. Uh, and I hope that Sacramento State gives you full credit for this. Bienvenido. Welcome, <laughs> Esme. So we wanted to begin by asking you a little bit about, if you could please tell us about your life here in Mendocino County. So uh, Kaylee, would you like to start? Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll begin. Um, you know, growing up here, like I said, in my bio, I was born and raised here. Um, I think it was such a privilege and I think specifically thinking um, about nature because we have the ocean, we have the redwoods. Um, you know, and I, and I think I maybe took that for granted until I moved to the city, you know, when I was in LA 
thinking, oh, I'm really like 10 miles from the from the beach, maybe less, but it, you know, can take me two hours with traffic. I I guess I didn't realize the privilege that I have until now, but um, I definitely realized how lucky I was. It was re really nice to just be close, you know, the proximity to the to the beach, especially we love going to the beach as kids. But I think it was it was really nice. I grew up in a close, uh, tight knit community, and very close to the Latino community here at the church and um, in school too. But I think one thing again that I'm realizing now that I didn't realize when I was younger is I because we were in a small rural, you know, far from the airport, far from even the places where we can go shopping for clothes and things like that. We're very very sheltered in a way. Um, and I when I moved to go to college for the first time in, you know, in San Diego in 2013. It was like a culture shock. I was like, oh my God, I haven't been exposed to this like other, most of the world. <laughs> so it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was, but also very, I think, sheltered. But I'm, I'm happy that, you know, I was able to grow up here and, and um, experience all that I did experience while living here and on the Mendocino coast. Terrific. Uh, Roseanne, you were born in Ukiah in a Native American Latino family. How was it for you growing up in the Valley? Yeah, so I come, I, I jokingly say that I am representative of Mendocino County. Um, and usually what I mean by that is I'm a, a mix of, of the two groups in the community that are um, our, our highest um, people of color. So Native American and Mexican. Uh, Originally, my family lived in Anderson Valley. Um, my dad worked uh, for the vineyard over there in Boombiol, and we lived in housing that was provided by the company. And then from there, I moved to Willits, and then my mom was working in Ukiah. And so uh, I went to kindergarten in, um, here in Ukiah, and then we moved to Boombiol, and then, and then we finally landed in, U in Ukiah. So I've kind of lived in all of these communities. And um, I remember in Anderson Valley growing up as a little, little tiny one, I had, and I've always had both English and Spanish in the home. And then at some point when we moved to Willits, I was surrounded, you know, we lived in a trailer park and most of the kids around me were, there were some Spanish speaking families, but mostly it was English that, you know, I spoke with the little friends, but in the home, it was always both languages. And then when I moved to Hoplin, most of my friends were from the Hoplin reservation. So it's always been for me this, um, this dynamic of my identity and the fact that, you know, if you were to see my parents together, they look similar, you know? Um, so in terms of, you know, when you think of multiracial people, typically there's a, 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 a distinction between how each of the partners look, but in my family, we looked the same, but the culture was so incredibly different, right? So my mom uh, was born also in Ukiah and was very, you know, she grew up, uh, you know, she was a baby boomer. Uh, my grandfather was a World War II veteran. Um, he served in um, France and Germany, you know, and he came back. And so I had these stories growing up from both perspectives, right? I, I would hear from my grandpa about his experiences growing up in this community. And I always remember him asking me every time he'd see me, how are you being treated in school? Because he went through the school system here and he remembers the racism that he encountered. Um, and then, you know, I have the, the stories from my dad's side of the family of what it was like growing up in, 
in Hanambo, Michoacan, and he grew, he didn't have electricity or running water growing up. And, you know, the, the schools there on the ranch, it, he said it went up to third grade. And then from there, you'd have to travel to the bigger town. Um, so it was really challenging. So I just remember this dichotomy of the different experiences. But then I also remember for the longest time um, being an adolescent, having this anger that sort of lived inside of me, knowing that, you know, my people um, were the ones that were seen as the other, whether you're talking about the Native American side or the Mexican side. And then I, you know, in middle school, even in, in grammar school, you see how we, how we start to begin to segregate ourselves. And it's interesting to see how we begin to segregate ourselves by race. So I would say that's kind of been a running thread for me throughout my life is the, the identity and then always feeling that I needed to um, pick a side or else I needed to um, adjust myself, right? So if I'm with my Latino family, uh, speaking Spanish and um, or Spanglish, and then, um, and then there's even more complexity there because within among Latino families, we're um, mixed status, right? So there's a distinction Unfortunately, if you know you're born here in the United States versus you know coming here as an immigrant, and then there's a further distinction on your legal status if you're an illegal alien or if you're a resident. And in my family, there's a, a wide array, a mixture. I have illegal family members, and I, I have a deep, profound sensitivity about that. Um, and then you know, on my Native American side, there's there's an element of that as well. Growing up, my grandpa would always tell me stories and my grandma um, about their experiences. And my grandpa and grandma, they were, um, what was it, 1924 when American Indians were granted citizenship. So they were uh, two and three years old when they were became citizens of this country. How interesting, okay. Roseanne. Okay, that's me. How about telling us a bit about you yourself and your work? So I grew up in Fort Bragg most of my life. And I migrated from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico, when I was only about 11 months old. Uh, my dad worked in Fort Bragg as a logger, and he had a work permit. and that's how my mom came over here because of my dad and she wanted and then she brought me and then her visa expired and she ended up staying and she had like my siblings and um, I would say that in that sense because I lived in a small town where there was resources I recognize the privilege that I have um, to get to where I am today. Um, I, I had close family, friends, a lot of support in, in helping out my family and also on our path to citizenship and um, being able to get into higher education like now. I'm at Sacramento State. I'm on my last semester. And I 
a lot of it, yes, it was because I had support from my community and because I had the passion in trying to do better and do something that I'm passionate about. And I would say when I moved to Sacramento, my first year, it was a cultural shock because it's a lot different than in Fort Bragg. Like it's a big city. There's a, a whole bunch of people from different cultures and races. And in Fort Bragg, it's pretty, I don't, I would say, um, like it's like if you're living in a bubble sort of because you're only exposed to so much. And I just think it's important for people to really try to learn more, put themselves put themselves in perspective outside of themselves so they could learn and be more compassionate towards ourselves and others. And I feel that with meeting new people, even now since I left and I moved back, I feel like I'm still learning more, more about myself and who I want to be and how I can support the community that I came from. And that's what I feel when I, and with my work in Latino Outdoors, I'm giving back to the community that brought me to where I am now. And that love and just the community of being together and sharing your experiences because we all have different experiences. And that's why I am so passionate about nature and being outside because that is where I found a lot of healing from the experiences of pain or uncertainty even now during the pandemic being stuck inside, I felt a lot of uncertainty and being outside for me was really like a place of calm, peace and quiet and not get so consumed by all of our day-to-day -day problems like in life with family. And I just think I am grateful to have been raised in a town where I always had access to going to the beach or just walking around. For me, walking and hiking is, has been my form of exercise and getting outside and appreciating nature. Yeah, Esme, and, and that passion that you are describing is the one that um, took you closer to this organization, the Latino Outdoors. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this organization and uh, how you think uh, it helps people with their health and uh, with organizing Latinos and what are you been doing with the Latino doors here? Yeah, so growing up, like I said, in a small town, I would go outside, but only to the places that I knew. And there was a lot of places and trails that I didn't know and I didn't have access to because I didn't have transportation or a car that I could drive to, but just because you don't have that doesn't mean you can't have a connection to the outdoors. And I think with Latino Outdoors, we're redefining what it means to be outdoors because 
you don't have to go on a backpacking trip or go on very intensive outdoor activities to be in the outdoors. You could just be biking around town or taking a walk around town, um, being outside, gardening. There are so many different ways to connect to nature and Latino outdoors is working towards re towards having also that representation in the outdoors because for example I could be out hiking on a trail that is in the forest like I'll just give an example like I could be hiking in any like state park that is within the boundaries where it's a little bit more distance to get to from Fort Bragg and you'll see like I won't really I, I won't really see people who look like me like people of color that are doing those activities like kayaking or doing or surfing or boating or I don't different things that people haven't been exposed to because they didn't have the opportunities to do that. And that's why I think this is so important with you know, outdoors, a community like this, because you get to meet people, experts in the, in the field who can share their experiences or just share an opportunity to do an activity that you are not very familiar with or comfortable with. And it starts with just getting out there and trying something new because those different activities in the outdoors help with our personal growth and serve as an activity for our health. Because when, when we're doing an activity that challenges us is also helping us grow as a person. Thank you, Esme, for, for sharing, and thank you, all of you. So I'm going to remind our listeners that you are listening to Talking About California. We are doing a series celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month here, and um, this afternoon we are talking with Rosani Barra, Kaylee Becerra, and Esme Plasencia, who are locals that have stories to share with us. So back to you, Cal. Oh, well, how about Roseanne? Why, uh, you're with the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Group. Could you tell us about this group, how it was created, and why, and when? Yes, of course. So the group um, was started in August of 2020, well, unofficially. Um, several community leaders came together and started putting the planning together, but I'm gonna back up from there because the, the concept for the task force was born from advocacy from joint Latino leaders across Mendocino County. Um, and that was starting in early 2020 before we went into the pandemic. Um, the group came together and was strategizing on topics that we wanted to bring forward to our County Board of Supervisors regarding Latinos in the community and what our concerns are and what we would like to see. And one of the um, items that we put forward among others was the formation of a diversity, equity and inclusion task force. So once we went into the pandemic, um, as you all know, 
we saw the disparities that were magnified in the fact that Latinos were being disproportionately impacted by COVID. And so the uh, supervisor Haschek had reached out and asked if um, we could come forward. And so we, we collectively, the eight Latino groups, um, organized this presentation on health disparities. But within that, um, we put forward this concept for the DEI task force. So that was in July. And so then in August, we came together for the planning and um, it, was, it was determined by the group, so the community members. And so we expanded it as well. We expanded it beyond Latinos, but to be inclusive of all people of color. So we invited other voices. And what was determined is that we wanted to be um, a group that was uh, not a Brown Act board or committee and something that wasn't going to be appointed by the institution that we were trying to change, um, you know, when we're thinking about the county structures. So um, the group has been going, you know, we just celebrated our one year anniversary of, of being in place. And um, what we've identified is the need for uh, community-wide education um, and highlighting what equity is and what it looks like when we put it into practice. And so when we're thinking about policies, yes, of course, we wanna see more people of color, of color in leadership roles. And we, we cannot just um, leave it at that, that it's, that it's on the shoulders of the person of color to be the one to be the voice for the, you know, for the community that it's also for existing leaders that we need to be adjusting how we're thinking about allocation of resources. For example, you know, when we're thinking about the COVID dollars that came into the community, that we be mindful of, of the distribution and that the dollars are, are supporting populations that, have, that are um, disproportionately impacted. And then even when we're thinking about community development as a whole, that we're mindful of communities that have been um, disenfranchised um, and, and sadly, you know, when we're looking at the design of communities, typically communities of color are not within the boundaries of city uh, limits. You know, I, I live in Ukiah and I live on the south end of Ukiah. I'm not within city limits, but surrounding me, there's um, apartment complexes, um, mobile home parks that are um, mostly Latino families. And, you know, you think about... Um, the fact that we're outside of city limits and there's services that are not extended. So those are the, the, the deeper things. But right now we're, we're looking at educating the community about equity, creating a local training as well that tells our story, right? Our, our history in this country is, is told through the eyes of the colonizer. And for people of color, we need opportunities to be able to share um, what our contributions are to this, to this community, to this country, to celebrate those and highlight those for our people, but also to tell others what our experience has been. So um, it's that. Um, it's also um, communication and collaboration. So there's other groups as well that are working on these important issues and to make sure that we're, we're unified and that we're supporting each other. And so it's, it's been an exciting journey. 
Yeah, I'll bet it has. Um, let's just go right back to what you began with. And, um, you know, for our listeners, maybe they don't actually know what equity is. Uh, could you tell us uh, uh, about your own thinking on that subject or the group's thinking? And also, we're interested, I'm interested in knowing about the issue of, of representation in uh county uh, positions of, of authority. And it's my impression, it may be different over here in Fort Bragg than it is in Ukiah, but in my, it's my impression that Latinos have very little representation here in the Fort Bragg area, top to bottom from the city council to the school board to the hospital board uh, and so on. So Two, two questions there, uh, equity and then uh, representation. Of course, um, equity is something that's uh, been sort of a buzz, buzzword and that's been, um, you know, talked about probably within the last five years or so. I, I would say that it's been more on at the forefront. But when we're thinking about um, a community, a society and access, we often think of equality, right? That we want everyone to have equal opportunity, which yes, that's important, but we also have to realize that people are starting at different places. And so with that awareness that we may need to provide additional supports to individuals so that they can um, have access. There's this image that's, that's used a lot um, where there's a baseball game and there's a fence. And then um, in the, one of the panels, there's um, people as they are. So you have an adult, a child, and then a toddler. And so they're, they're standing at this fence. And of course the adult is, is, you know, their eyes are barely over the fence so they can see the game and see what's happening. The child of course cannot, and the toddler is, is, is not even close. So then equality, you give them each a box to stand on. And so they're still start, they're still at different places. But at this point, the child can see over, but the toddler cannot. And when we're thinking about equity, you give them a different number of boxes so that they're all able to see over the fence. But we can even go further than that. And there's this one image that shows justice where we remove the fence entirely, right? We, we take the barrier down entirely so that everyone can see the game. And so that's sort of a visual that, that is helpful for people to understand the distinctions between those things. And then going to your question about representation. So um, what's really fantastic in um, Ukiah, we have two Latinos on our Ukiah City Council. So um, our very first Latino mayor, Mayor Juan Orozco, and then we have Josefina Duenas, who's one of our city council members. So we're, we're incredibly excited about that. However, um, you know, when we're looking at our county leadership, um, we, we still have work to do there. And then, you know, when you're talking about um, our school boards, I know um, we have at our Mendocino College, we have Sochil de Martinez that's, that's on, um, serves on that board. So we're making progress. And so that's part of the work that Mendocino Latinx Alliance um, is doing is to bring forward the issues and inspire interests and inspire um, the Latinos in the community to become activated and become engaged. Um, it's, it's that piece, but 
But the other piece is the boards and these groups also need to recognize there's adjustments that need to be made. You know, if we're inviting new leaders to the table, um, we also need to be providing support. So there's, there's conversations underway. We have in Mendocino County, we have Leadership Mendocino that I think is really an organization that's poised to be able to support in this way. And um, uh, there was a meeting this week, in fact, with the joint Latino leaders. And it's a conversation that we had about, you know, there's a lot of requests now coming forward and interest in diversifying boards and, and committee, the makeup of committees. And how can we as Latino leaders um, be the bridge and make those linkages and connections? Yeah, very important to include equity in that equation as well. You know, I mean, if the boards are always having meetings during the working hours, it's kind of hard the Latinos are in a position to attend those. So yeah, many details that need to be considered. And, uh, and we are very happy here with Carl Winslow today to talk to you uh, and be part of the effort to educate people about the changes that are needed in our community. So we know that from these disparities that we confronted during the pandemic, one of the programs that was created, it was the Promotores de Salud program. And um, so Kaylee is, is uh, she participates in this group. So could you please, uh, Kaylee, tell us a little bit about uh, your work at the, you are the program manager. So could you tell us a little bit of your work with the Promotores de Salud and things you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so speaking about equity and meeting people where they're at, actually Promotores was born out of this bigger um, push, right? To, to talk about all these issues that are affecting our community, uh, specifically Latinos and other people of color. And so Promotores actually was an idea um, from Laura Diamondstone. She's an epidemiologist um, in our county. And thanks to her work and Roseanne's work, um, they were able to select um, a home for Promo the Promotores program. So we're housed out of a nonprofit, Nuestra Alianza de, de Willits um, in Willits, and it's a family resource center. Um, so the program started back in November of last year. We're going to turn one pretty soon here um, with the idea that we were going to help uh, during the pandemic. We were in an emergency situation and, and we had been in the county's year about the fact that we, you know, the the pandemic was affecting the Latinos, was going to affect the Latinos the most, and then it did. And then we kept bugging them, said, we need resources, we need resources. And so I think part of that solution was creating this program. Um, and again, acknowledging that it wasn't the county's idea, it was because of the community. The community was saying, we need these resources. So um, thanks to the community and then the, the funding from the county, we were able to create this program. I actually joined, um, in January, just as an interpreter, um, because the part of the, the program or the, the unique piece of a program is that most of the folks um, who are promotores are, uh, were, now they're becoming bilingual, monolingual Spanish speakers. We had a couple of others who were bilingual. Um, and so, and then it was Laura who was kind of helping uh, direct them and provide them with the correct resources. Um, and so, because of the, the language barrier, they needed somebody to interpret. So that's how I got hired on. 
Um, in March, Laura ended up leaving the program. She's still, um, you know, sponsoring us as a mentor, but not officially part of the program anymore. So then they asked me to step up and and be the program manager. And I said, oh my God, I've really big shoes to fill, but <laughs> we've been making it happen since um, March. The program is by no means perfect. Uh, there are definitely things that we, you know, kings that need ironing out, but I think that we're doing a, a really great job, an except, exceptional job of bringing resources to the community. At the beginning of last year, when we were getting the vaccines, we were um, having folks sign up so that they can receive vaccines just convincing them <laughs> that, you know, getting a vaccine was safe and okay. And also appealing to the county to make sure that folks in our community, especially uh, because so many people in our, in our community are essential workers, that they be included in the first groups of people who were getting the vaccine. Also recently we started offering testing. So, um, you know, asking folks to come through and get tested regularly. Um, and we've actually become the, the primary testing site in Willits. Um, many folks know about us now. They don't realize that we're not actually part of the county testing. We're, we're doing it out of the goodness of our hearts because um, promotores realize that we, we have a need. Uh, North County has a lot of COVID-19 cases and they keep going up every day. And so we have to make sure that we're detecting those. And so that's you know one of the services that we're providing. Another is bringing folks food or different supplies while they're in isolation or in quarantine. Um, we were also, thanks to the, um, the funding, able to purchase uh, oximeters, filters, thermometers. And so we lend those out as well. Um, and it, it has been uh, such a privilege to be part of the program. Like I said, we're, we're working hard to fix things that you know sometimes don't always work out. But I, I just want to say that I'm really proud of, of the folks who are part of the program. The team is absolutely exceptional. And the beauty of, of our program, too, is that um, the promotores are folks who are not necessarily in leadership roles in the county, but they're leaders within the Latino community in, in Willits. Um, they're trusted individuals. And I think that that's why we've, we've been accepted within the Latino community in Willits. Yeah, Gailey, these, these are people that actually... They, they are not in the health professional business, let's say, you know, they are truly grassroots people that have been trained to offer these services and, and protect the people affected by COVID, no? Absolutely, yes. I just wanted to ask one more question while we were on that subject of COVID. We hear a lot about why people do or don't get vaccinated and I'm just wondering, in your experience in the county with the people you're working with, what kind of problems do you find? And also, uh, how, do you, how do you find people to, uh, to try to bring on board with the vaccinations? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there are a myriad of reasons why people don't want to get vaccinated. There's a lot of hesitation. Um, luckily, through education, we've been able to convince a lot of folks. Um, there are still people out there who um, are just afraid of what what it could do to their body. Um, there are folks who feel like you know the government is going to be able to control them, whether through their information or folks that actually think that they're getting a chip inserted inside of them. So there are so many so many misconceptions and ideas of what could 
you know, potentially happen. But we also have other um, reasons, like folks don't have the time. They're working all day, every day, you know, six, seven days a week. Um, and sometimes, you know, during the, the uh, vaccine clinic, they're not going to miss work to go. Um, another worry of theirs is like, okay, well, I'm going to go get vaccinated, but what is, how is my body going to react and how many days of work am I going to miss? I can't afford to miss working because I'm going to have, you know, a two, three day reaction. Um, so those are legitimate concerns that folks have. Um, and so what we've been trying to do is, you know, work with the county, see if they, the county can come to them, meet them where they're at, instead of having, you know, and the county has been trying to make accommodations, trying to be open during different types or during different hours, different days. Um, but I think there's definitely still some work to do um, in order to reach as many people as we can. You know, we've been going to a ranch in Potter Valley every other week and trying to convince folks there. And, and, you know, we have to be careful about how we talk to them. We have to be sensitive and understanding of their concerns. Um, but, you know, we bring uh, our dispensas, our food pantries to them and bring them, you know, a bunch of information every time and also have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. And we've been able to convince folks. Yes, as far as I know, the uh, the county also did, the clinics, sorry, in the county did this study. Um, with people that were uh, getting the vaccine. And the mainly reason that people decided to get the vaccine that day, and we are talking about for the last uh, month or so, it was essentially because of a, a relative talked to them into doing it. So if you know people that haven't gotten the vaccine, uh, particularly the Latinos, because we have been highly affected. And unfortunately, people are dying from COVID in the hospitals that are not vaccinated. I mean, a disease that could be preventable. It's a good idea to start the conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Kaylee, for your work uh, on this. Should we go back to uh, Esme and uh, talk some more about um... Uh, Latino outdoors. Uh, I think uh, I should apply for membership. I could, <laughs> I could spend uh, some more time outdoors. You know, um, apparently there have been studies which tell us that going out uh, and being amongst the trees is one of the very best things you can do for your uh, psychology, for making yourself healthier in terms of mental health. Do you, how, how do you feel about that? I agree. When I am outside, I feel a sense of calmness and I feel like all my thoughts that I have when, you know, when they say like the monkey mind, like you're just like clattering a bunch of thoughts. When I'm outside, I clear that and I, feel more peaceful and just enjoy where I'm at without any worries, any concerns. And it's good for your physical health as well to be outside. It's not only mental, it's physical. Even just walking outside uh, or the, the aspect of socializing outside is so good for your well-being. Even now with the pandemic, how we couldn't really see friends or um, visit. If you're outside, I would say it's safe to, in your distance to be outside with friends. 
Absolutely, and the and the public health officer will totally agree with you that being outside safer, Esme. Yeah, so you have led some walks around. What are the plans to bring? I mean, we know there is a benefit and maybe we the Latinos really need to introduce more uh, outdoor time in our lives, even if we are super busy because the benefits are, are great, uh, greater than actually um, than we know or, or think. Yeah. Um... I, I was learning about how when even if you just spend half an hour outside or 20 or 50 minutes walking, that is exercise. And it can be hard sometimes to make ourselves get outside. Like, mm, it sounds really nice to just lay here on my couch or my bed and just watch this show or read or but if we just make ourselves spend 15 minutes or 20 outside just walking you're gonna feel more energized and calm because you're moving your body movement is so important to do every day even if it's just 20 minutes or 30 minutes like find some time to just set that time to walk or if you like running or biking, any form of exercise that makes you feel good is good to do for your body. Like some some activities that I like to do in Fort Bragg was walking, biking, um, hiking, because there's a bunch of close trails to downtown where you could do that. And if more people are start to recognize the different places like even just the park if you want to just take a walk to the park or have a goal of somewhere near you that counts as being outside like if you just want to go outside and take a, an urban walk that's what they call it you can do that for 20 minutes half an hour to make it a routine in the morning before you start your day even it's a simple activity to get outside. And I've been leading walks out at the Noyo Headlands Trail and some that are a little bit far away. But there's trails where you can just find an activity like journaling outside in nature, or if you wanna read a book outside, that is good. Instead of staying inside, you go outside to read a book or have a picnic or um, something that I want to lead. I haven't been able to just because now I'm back. I'm going to be going back and forth between Sacramento and Fort Bragg because I have to finish my last semester. But some activities that I've been wanting to lead with Latino Outdoors is painting outside and going on a kayak or also doing nature journaling because it's a simple activity that is grounding because you're observing everything around you, like the plants, the animals, the landscape, and you start to notice more details like the weather, um, if, how you feel outside, like the temperature. You, you're, all your senses become more heightened, more, what's the word? Like, 
they yeah, become more stimulated maybe stimulated yes all your senses become more stimulating because you there's a lot of smells there's a lot of things you could touch um a lot of like feelings or even taste if you're outside you could taste certain plants if you if you are aware and have that knowledge of what plants you can or cannot eat you can go outside and try new like try new things and like yeah like esme dancing. and we are we are so highly lucky i mean you know i i live in on the coast too and i know we are so lucky to have like in for Bragg, we have otis johnson park right there mm-hmm. it's it's right next to us it's so easy to access to it not to mention the all the gems on the coast with the McCarrickar Park and uh, that lake over there, the Cleon Lake and so many other places. So thank you so much for encouraging people to get out and, and appreciating more nature because we are also in this moment fighting to protect our environment from destruction with all the longing that is happening so close to our homes, uh, destroying the forest that you saw um, uh, what's the word? I'm running out of words. That you, you so well described as as a place of healing and finding uh, grounding oneself and finding uh, better in ourselves, our health. No, yeah. Eloquent. Uh, That's the word. Eloquent. El- eloquent, and we certainly uh, have been lucky on all of our programs to find. Uh, so many eloquent people speaking up these days. Let me ask uh, Kaylee again, bring her back. And um, this is kind of an ongoing issue of some importance. I I see that you're part of the Fort Bragg Name Change Citizens Commission. Could you tell us what this is all about and uh, what exactly is, is happening with this commission now? And maybe what you think uh, its prospects are also, I suppose, why, why you think it's important. Absolutely. So the Name Change Commission um, was put together now a year ago, I want to say it was August of July or August of last year, um, in the wake of last year's summer uprisings following the death of George Floyd, um, the, the murder, I should say, of George Floyd. And, um, you know, the, the name change did not cut, it's, this is not the first time that the conversation for the name change has come up. It's come up several times before. It's gone before the city council before. But I think last year, there was a, a lot of support for changing um, or getting rid of Confederate monuments. Um, and because our name is Fort Bragg, we are, you know, inadvertently, I think honoring Braxton Bragg, who was an awful man. Um, so that that's kind of where this this conversation um, and this group uh, formed. Um, we had people in town, but also pressure from out of town, um, including people in Congress who were saying, "Hey, let's have this conversation. Let's put it on the table." Um, the, the city council decided not to vote on it themselves. They decided to create a commission. And the commission would come up with recommendations um, for how to proceed. 
I, I can't say too much. Um, I will say that it has been very contentious and um, we have folks on the commission who are for the um, name change and folks who are very against it. We've also had community input. You know, a lot of the community doesn't want to change the name. I think there's also a, a lack of understanding of why it's important for us to change the name. You know, many people bring up, oh, you're going to get rid of our history. Um, you know, we, the name, he was, the town was named Fort Bragg before he was part of the, um, the Confederacy. I don't think those are good enough reasons. Number one, I don't think that we're changing anyone's history. I always give the example of, well, okay, you know, maybe one day I'll get married and maybe I'll change my last name. I'm still going to be the same person. What I did in life and, you know, who I am isn't going to change based on my name. And then, you know, the other reason of, okay, well, he, the, the town was named before he was part of the Confederacy. I, I still think that's not that's not a good enough reason to, to keep the name. I'm obviously for changing it. Again, we're inadvertently honoring him. And I think there are so many other better names, you know, to identify, uh, to go with the beauty of, of our town uh, or that reflect, um, you know, the people that are here that don't have to do with uh, the Confederacy. Yeah, I have to confess, I certainly agree with you on, on that, if you don't mind my putting in my two cents worth. He was a soldier in the Mexican War. Then he uh, was a, a general, a highly disliked general in the uh, war of the, uh, the Civil War. He was a slave owner himself. And uh, so, so yes, indeed, uh, we ought to think about that. Uh, there's so much talk about patriotism these days, and especially connected to immigrants and, and the kind of other, other uh, subjects that we've been talking about. Well, old Braxton, he was a traitor, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, and also <laughs> try, try to overthrow the government. <laughs> right, and also I like to point out because I'm not so knowledge about the uh, story of this uh, Bragg person, but I also like to point out that uh, we give this name Fort Bragg, and there is not a fort here. We are not a military base, or we don't need to protect. Uh, on the contrary, our town is so friendly and wants to encourage people to come here and visit. So we are not protecting ourselves. We are actually open our hearts and, and our towns to the tourists uh, that come to enjoy our, the beauty here. Would you like to say something about this, Esme? What do you feel about the name? Do you think it's a it's a timely issue that we should confront. If I'm gonna put in my two cents, I guess, please do. I'm gonna say that I don't like it at all because the indigenous people that live there were displaced. They were put in a reservation, even just in Fort Bragg. And that kind of makes me think, yeah, there was a fort to get rid of the Native Americans there. And that I just don't like that. Like I, that I, when I remember about the history of indigenous people, that name is not honoring them. And that doesn't sit right with me. I think that that's brought you know, another piece into the conversation. Um, you know, we're talking about renaming, 
but um, what are we doing about the the space in question and how are we honoring the folks who are still here, right? So many of, like you said, so many of their relatives were displaced, um, were part of the genocide that did, that was committed here. And, and how are we repaying them? How are we honoring them correctly? Well, thank you so much for coming today. Uh, we have three fabulous guests, local uh, women, uh, Esme Plasencia, Kaylee Becerra, and Rosa Nibara were talking with us today. And I'm afraid we are running out of time. So thank you so much for being our guests and talking with us uh, about your important work in our community here in Mendocino Coast. Thank you so yeah. much for having us. Thank my, you. my thanks as well. And, and uh, uh, for all of you, uh, I'm, I'm sure that they're right through the county. People are, are thankful and hopeful when they find about people like yourselves and the work that you're doing. And it's important and it takes brave people to do it. We haven't really said that. And you're all too modest to say, say anything yourself, but it takes brave people to stand uh, up. Uh, so, uh, once again, this has been uh, talking about California celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. Uh, Loretta Rojas and myself, Cal Winslow, have been hosting this series. We um, certainly hope you'll watch for uh, any series that come up in the future. And once again, to remind uh, uh, listeners to uh, tune in to uh, Loretto and her uh, program, Mendo Latino, which is uh, uh, at nine o'clock on Mondays, the second and fourth Mondays of the month. So many thanks to all of you. Many thanks to the programmers at KZYX. And uh, let's uh, all just keep up the fight. Yes. And until next time, thank you for tuning in today. This podcast was produced by KZYX-FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, local community radio for Mendocino County, California. If you enjoyed the program and you'd like to hear more, in Northern California, you can tune in anytime to KZYX at 90.7 FM in Philo, KZYZ at 91.5 FM in Willits and Ukiah, and 88.1 FM in Fort Bragg. If you're listening to this podcast from further away, we also stream live 24 hours a day at kzyx.org, where you can hear our eclectic range of locally produced music, public affairs, and news, along with daily state and national news programs and breaking news. You can also find out how to become a member to keep KZYX on the air. Thank you for listening.